But difficult conversations are opportunities for growth and learning. And that's something to get excited about if we're if we're interested in evolving ourselves. And I am like, I don't want to stop evolving and learning. And I know not all people are. And so that that is OK as well. For me, I feel like I use a combination of a bunch of those things that you talked about. So setting my intention is huge for conversations that are challenging or where I'm anxious about what the response might be. And I find often what stumps me up is when I've got an intention of this person needs to change or this person needs to agree with me or, um, you know, somehow they need to up level in a way that I need them to. And I think often we're coming into difficult conversations in that way, like versus just saying what's true for me in this moment. My intention is connection. My intention is to deeper understand this individual in front of me. And when you walk in like that, everything changes because then you're in a place of curiosity and it doesn't matter what they say, you're going to just riff off it and, and, and go with whatever's present. Hello, you are listening to Rediscovering Connection with me, Shelley Doyle. And today's conversation was so enriching. I think you're going to enjoy it. I'm speaking to Amy Leah, who is passionate about belonging and delivers her work through circles. And in this episode, we go deep into circles and how they can really help to connect us deeply, whether that's at work or in our personal lives. Um, we talk about preparing for difficult conversations and some different techniques that, that you can employ in your own life and creating a sense of belonging at work. And this is really geared towards people who work remotely. It's like, can we create a sense of belonging at work when we're not in a physical location with our colleagues? Um, so get yourself a cup of tea and enjoy the conversation. Yeah, so Circle of Change, I started in 2021. Um, and it was a calling as well. I It was a, a moment in the deep winter where I didn't know what my next move was. I wanted desperately to be of service, to give my gifts that I have in some way. And my brain wasn't figuring it out. And so often when I have those moments, I just sit and ask. And what came to me instantly was podcast. Like, you must have the podcast. And this beautiful vision came to light of conversation and just beautiful light energy. And so I said, okay, <laughs> sure, why not? And dove in and launched it a couple months later with the help of Mary Chan, who's just an amazing uh, podcast producer and coach here also in Victoria. And the journey was was fantastic. The, the intention really was to speak to change makers, people that were out there trying to make the world a better place in some way and wanting that inner reflective time to allow themselves to give deeper by knowing themselves more. And um, I was it was an awesome experience. I loved it. And in that journey, I found my voice more, which has been a lifelong journey for me. And I think many others out there as well, but that was step 
kind of step one. And it was very intimidating at the beginning to just speak into this microphone and know somebody was listening. <laughs> but then over time, I, I got comfort in that. And also I knew myself more. I knew what I wanted to really take a stand for uh, through those conversations. And then, yeah, I think coming out of COVID and I didn't know, maybe it was tied into COVID, the isolation and then the opening up, but just something switched. And I knew instantly I didn't, I couldn't continue this, that I wanted to be in person with people making an impact in a different way. So Mm -hmm. I retired it. Yeah. And and I know like I totally empathize with like the idea of wanting to be speaking to change makers and it does kind of open the door to just be having those rich conversations and it's like um you don't just go for a coffee and start talking mundane stuff it's like you get in there and you just start talking about the juicy topics that you love to be talking about they love to be talking about and like you said it's helping them to get to know themselves more because a lot of the times we're doing this kind of passion work, but unless people are asking us questions about it, it almost, it, 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 your impact is only your clients or your close friends that you share it with. So podcasting is really an opportunity to talk about it more and then start embodying that passion, that purpose even more. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I do, um, a lot of circle work. So sitting in circles, having conversations in that way. And I host those for my clients and uh, teams that I get to work with. And I also have my own circles that I show up in. And I have found over time, like the deeper work that I do in community and with organizations, the more necessary and important those other spaces are so that I'm continuing to process and deepen my knowledge of myself and Um, Yeah. So I I just find myself these days really uh, so grateful for those spaces that I get to show up in, which relates to what you were saying. So I'd love to talk about these circles. Um, And I've been kind of doing a similar, similar thing, um, totally organic. Um, And then sometimes I plan them and it totally kind of goes to plan and feels good. And other times, other times I almost feel like I'm not in my power to facilitate it particularly when it's with personal groups how do you handle power dynamics like that like if you're doing it with clients I I find that it's easier in a kind of a group coaching environment because they're expecting you to be the facilitator but have you had any challenges trying to turn your personal groups into a circle oh interesting I did run a few circles with uh, friends, um, and it, it was it was really great. And in that in those roles, I I also played facilitator, but also was just Amy Leah myself in that moment. Um, and that was an interesting balance because I would go from like bawling my eyes out because I was having a moment, and then I'd be like, like okay, so the. <laughs> So the next question, you know, that we're going to explore is this, but I, I mean, I love that process. I'm comfortable with that flow and the friends in those circles also, also love that too. Like it was just very organic in that way. And what size circles have you found to be the most enriching and where you do feel like you 
are able to really give and receive what's needed from it? Oh, yeah. I love that question. I think the four to five people is fantastic. I just hosted a leadership retreat. It was five days up in Nanaimo at the Bethlehem Center, which is just a sacred place. And there were four leaders that came. And the five of us, I just found that that we were able to go so deep, but there was also enough flow and diversity in the room that we got to learn from each other uh, as well. So I love that size. And that has come through the last two podcasts that I filmed, that magic five just keeps coming up again and again. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued that you, you've brought that back. Um, so let's delve into belonging. Um, something that I read of yours um, was about passion coming from pain. And this is something that my professor from Royal Roads also flagged to me about a year ago when I was living in Shawnigan Lake, an eco village there. And I was so passionate about community. And he flagged this to me that your passion always comes from your pain. And I was like, oh, like really, where's the pain? And it, and it took me that long. And and once I started unpacking it, like it went back decades and it was something that I hadn't even acknowledged at the time, but then started to make sense knowing that the passion comes from pain. Um, so I'd love to, if you're comfortable, get an understanding of that sense of belonging and where that's really the root of it or where, where that passion has really come from. Yeah, I love that. And yes, I love what you just shared too, in terms of those moments of aha and deeper understanding of yourself and why, why am I so passionate about this? So that's brilliant. Um, yeah. So I grew up in a, in a childhood home that had a lot of division in it. There was a lot of fighting and addictions. Um, and, um, yeah, it wasn't a, a particularly calm environment. And in that in 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 that setting, I really began uh, a not so friendly relationship with conflict. I hated conflict. I avoided it at all costs when I got into my adulthood. Um, coupled with that, there was a really strong message in my family of origin that as a girl, I was meant to be seen and not heard. And that was just cultural practices in my family. And so getting into my adulthood, I really had a hard time speaking my mind, um, articulating needs, anything like that, talking in front of people, presentations, everything. I was, I called myself shy. Um, and then the, the conflict avoidance was another whole piece where, and it really showed up in my uh, intimate partner relationships where I wasn't articulating my needs. I could never, I was really so much more focused on keeping the waters calm and trying to avoid mm -hmm. conflict that I wasn't showing up as my authentic self. And then eventually, of course, all the feelings that I had just bottled down came up and out and exploded, usually in anger and rage. So I was recreating all of that conflict from my childhood. When I had that realization moment, that was very painful for me to see. So I think in that setting, 
there's there's so many layers in it. The not feeling like I belonged in my own family or that there was no space for me in my voice had me be very impassioned about spaces. I was so tuned into what what's missing here? Who are the, what voices are not being represented here? And so from a young age was really very interested in human rights. And I spent my high school reading about Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Gandhi and all of these people um, where nothing else was prodding me to do that. I lived in a very white rural town. Like there's no reason to have those kinds of conversations or bring those issues to the table, but there was just something in me that needed to. Like they were, there, they were there representing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And maybe you even felt represented by their words. But yeah, I did. I felt seen in a lot of ways um, by their stories. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I love Circle so much too, because it's literally just sharing stories. And in those sharing of stories, you, I see myself. I feel heard and understood on a deeper level, which is brilliant. So this story is twisting in an interesting way, in a way that I don't think I've ever really articulated it before. But I think all of that landed, yeah, in a, in a place in my life, I was leaving a relationship again in a very similar way. And I just thought, I don't want to keep doing this anymore. I don't want to keep projecting whatever's going on in me out there and causing hurt. And I, I want connection. Like I want intimacy. I want to feel like I belong. And I, I got the sense that it had nothing to do with the other people that I had spent my whole life blaming for that lack of connection. So that was really my call to do my inner work, which fast forward allowed me to then really focus my work today on creating spaces where everybody feels like they belong and doing the inner work that I think is essential for those spaces to be created. Mm, so beautiful. <laughs> um, I, I so resonate, Amy Leah, because um, back in, I guess it was January 22, we had been here for about six months and life was beginning to kind of pick up. I'd found some university friends and then we were back in lockdown again and we were literally locked down and my son's daycare had a case of COVID. So we were not allowed to see anyone over my 40th birthday. <laughs> like, happy birthday. Yay. Um, so I was forced to really go inside. Like there was nowhere else to go. There was no one here to bubble up with. And that's really where my inner work began and the unpacking began. And I started getting curious about community living and really thinking that this was the answer to everything but really I I got reconnected with myself and I think like you said like you realize that you've got no one else to blame but you just need to do that work because until we belong to ourselves and know how to be authentic in our own skin like we're not even being seen as ourselves so we can't blame anyone else for not seeing us because we're not projecting the version of ourselves that we are. Mm. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's a brilliant way to articulate it. 
And it brings up to me something I hear from clients a lot. And also something that I used to show up as quite a bit is being in spaces and getting really quite annoyed that nobody was hearing me or listening to me, or there was no space for my voice to <laughs> be heard. And I would leave so angry about that. But what you said really puts that in a whole new light. It's like, they, well, what exactly was needing to be seen in that mm. moment? Um, I didn't know at that time. Yeah. And something I picked up that you said before was about you thought that you were shy mm-hmm. and, and about that labeling of like any labels that we give, oh, they are so-and-so. It's not like I feel shy today. It's like naming yourself shy does make you feel different in all settings to know that sometimes you will be feeling shy and sometimes you're going to be talkative and just allowing ourselves to kind of take the labels off and just be present because we are different versions of ourselves in the company of different people. And I think COVID really highlighted that for me, like the versions of yourself that you are in the workplace It's like, am I able to be that version of myself on Zoom with the same workplace colleagues? Maybe that's a nice segue into belonging in the workplace. Yeah, Zoom was very interesting in terms of those conversations, right? Because then all of a sudden you started to see the kids in the background and the the chaos going on. Reality of life. Reality of life that we tended to pack away when we walked through the doors of the office, right? Oh, no, I'm just a, a worker in this space or a manager or whatever. Um, and so COVID kind of took the doors off that, which was really vulnerable, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and now it, it feels a little bit more normalized to have your full space come with you to work. <laughs> In the Zoom setting. I do um, remember a, yeah. a news broadcast in the UK and they literally had that. They had the kids <laughs> come into a live news broadcast and then it was just like, it kind of just gave everyone else permission to say, it's okay, like it happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Interesting perspective that actually, because it's kind of flipping it the other way. It's like saying perhaps that allowed us to be more authentic Whereas otherwise you do have work mask and home mask. It's like maybe it allowed us to take stock of who we are and be more, be more them in different environments. Mm. Can we create a sense of belonging in a full remote environment as far as you have experienced and if people are just about to take a remote working job, like what could they do to ensure that they do feel connected with their teams? Um, especially, you know, we don't know what's going to happen going back into another winter. Like, how can we how can we protect ourselves and ensure that we that we don't feel isolated again if, mm. if the worst should happen? Yeah, it's a great question. I think. In COVID, I would have said, absolutely, you can 100% create cultures of belonging. And and I, I've had great success in that in, in hosting circle dialogues on Zoom and it, and it can work and it is impactful and it's different. 
there is something that gets created when you're in person and you're feeling each other's energy on a much deeper level that transforms the space and really gives your body the experience of belonging in a way that I don't think is actually 100% replicable on Zoom or on other tech video technologies. So for me, you know, the in-person moments are important. And so I think if there's an opportunity, even if you're working remote to be able to be flown in or travel or whatever that is to at least have some engagements in person with your team, it makes the zooming different. It adds another layer to it. So I would say that. And then I think back to what we were talking about in terms of, um, well, there, there's a couple of things that are coming to my mind. So first of all is using time to get to know yourself. So finding the spaces to um, understand who you are so that that sense of belonging really is internal and it's not dependent on the people around you. So I think that's key. And um, also just sitting with the question of how vulnerable am I being when I'm on Zoom? Is there a way for me to be more open for the, to let these people into my life a little bit more? And it, it's scary because we, we live in a world that says, oh, that's not okay, but that's shifting. And I think we're getting to a point, and I'm hearing this a lot in organizations where they're like, we're so done with surface level team building activities and rah, rah, and everybody be happy and all of that. People, people want to do their work. People want to like inner work, I mean, and really get to know people on a deeper level and have authentic exchanges. And so the challenge is, okay, well, how, if I'm really wanting that from somebody else, which often is how it starts, we're like, I really need them to show up this way, <laughs> but you need to set the stage and be the leader in it and find the, the ways that feel safe for you to be authentic. I love that. And yeah, it's really bringing up something for me, like I've, I've kind of part of my research, I've looked into this like reciprocal vulnerability and that's where you build trust. But what you just said, like you need to take the lead. And I found in other scenarios where people are asking, 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 and I'm sharing, 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 and then I'll ask in return. And then there's, it's very, very surface level. And then that can feel a little bit uncomfortable because they're not taking the lead, but they're not afraid to ask you the deep questions. So I think that's a really valuable message to just share with listeners out there, like take the lead, do go first in your vulnerability, even though it's vulnerable, if you want to really build that relationship and build that trust, and you don't need to peel back your whole onion, just peel back a layer. And then next time you gather, peel back another layer, but at that that has to be reciprocated, that you have to feel like it's a positive energetic exchange. And if it feels like you're peeling, 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 and then the other person is kind of keeping their onion tight shut, then maybe that's not the person that you that you can go deeper with. And pure acceptance of that 
and and maybe find somebody else in the organization or in your friendship group whatever it might be that that there can be that reciprocal exchange of energy mm, yeah I love that and a hundred percent I think I I know I didn't I don't think I did date a guy like that too he was just so good at asking the questions and in the beginning that was enticing that was like oh mm. somebody's interested they're a good listener <laughs> but then it got kind of like well they're not what sharing anything about, exactly. about you. it erodes the trust in in some ways I think too because it's like well yeah and, and we're all moving at our own pace so I love what you said at the end it's like full acceptance we're not trying to force people to be a certain way for us to feel okay and I think that's a conversation that keeps coming up in the diversity equity inclusion space that I work in is that right now there's this conversation of well we need all the people who aren't getting it or that are still kind of holding the old guard to get it and move forward and I need them to be here now and once we force that upon people there's a nervous system response that says oh like that person is saying well this doesn't feel safe for me either to be safe for where I'm at and so how do we create spaces for it to be okay where people are in their evolutionary journey while also holding people to be accountable and responsible for harms that they're causing so that that's a slightly different conversation but um I think the more we are know ourselves and are, are at home in these bodies, the less activated we are when people aren't coming along or are not meeting us where we're at so that when we can easily make the decision in a discerning way that's non-judgmental to just say, yeah, this isn't my person, I'm going to move on. Mm. Yeah. And, and it's not always easy to do mm-hmm. that. It's like breaking up with a partner. You normally have a conversation about it, but if it's a work colleague or a friend, um, is it easier to just allow it to fizzle out? And I think most people would say yes. So some of the conversations I've been having recently are how do we have those difficult conversations and I've actually had had this debate with a few people. So maybe we can maybe we can go at it here. And I don't think I've got the answer. Okay, so I was on a podcast um with AI Sentinel recently. Um and, and we were talking about um AI chatbots, which I am very, very wary of. I don't think this is gonna be a good move for society. Um, um But then I got to talking to a friend who's a therapist um, and we started talking about how we have difficult conversations with our friends Um, because, yeah, I was saying I was on this AI podcast and I was like, well, hang on, how about if you can practice the conversation with AI to practice the different scenarios? And she said in therapy, they always suggest you use the empty chair exercise so you do practice the conversation in advance but with an empty chair so you're essentially speaking to yourself to your higher self to kind of try and get that wisdom to come in so when you do have that difficult conversation you kind of you go in in a place that you intentionally want to Mm. the third option which I spoke to Robin Dunbar about Um, was if we do have our close circle of friends, 
like should we be talking to our close friends about these difficult conversations and we don't need to name who it is we don't need to give any you know intimate details but voicing it with close friends can mean that it's a learning opportunity for you they can help you to see it from a different perspective and it's also a learning opportunity for them because if they then are going to face a difficult conversation maybe they won't shy away from it maybe they will just face it or even come to you to kind of bounce some ideas across first so there's three ways that we can prepare ourselves for a difficult conversation and I'm not saying that I'm doing it but I'm saying these are the options available to us and I think I need to start taking more of them Yeah, it's such a it's such a juicy topic, difficult conversations. And even the labeling, like, isn't it interesting that we label it difficult? And so instantly our nervous system is like, ah, I don't want to do this. Like, this is terrifying. But difficult conversations are opportunities for growth and learning. And that's something to get excited about if we're if we're interested in evolving ourselves and I am like, I don't want to stop evolving and learning. And I know not all people are. And so that, that is okay as well. For me, I feel like I use a combination of a bunch of those things that you talked about. So setting my intention is huge for conversations that are challenging or where I'm anxious about what the response might be. And I find often what stumps me up is when I've got an intention of, this person needs to change or this person needs to agree with me or, um, you know, somehow they need to up level in a way that I need them to. And I think often we're coming into difficult conversations in that way, like versus just saying what's true for me in this moment. My intention is connection. My intention is to deeper understand this individual in front of me And when you walk in like that, everything changes because then you're in a place of curiosity and it doesn't matter what they say, you're going to just riff off it and, and and go with whatever's present makes it more exciting. Um, I also have some friends in my life and I call them spiritual partners. We've gone through similar trainings together. And so we have similar languages that we can use when I know that I'm just stuck in a place of fear and I have a conversation and I really want to have it, but I want to have it in a good way so that I'm not causing harm or putting negative energy back out into the world. Cause that's important for me. And I can go to them and I can just be like, bah, 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 like get whatever it is off my chest and then settle into like, okay, this is how I would like to show up. And they can just ask me the questions. Well, what is your intention with this conversation? Like, and, and often just in that asking, sometimes I, I realize I actually don't need to have the conversation at all. It's just an internal working and a, and a reframing that needs to go on. Cause I think that's hard. To, like, sometimes we always want to put it back on the other person or they need to be involved in my, <laughs> in my processing journey, but sometimes that's actually not true. So I think having that friend, but the friend that can actually support you in the way that you want to be supported, not in a way that's going to fuel your perspective, your point of view, Mm -hmm. who can actually challenge you to show up as your best self. 
So key, so key. (laughs) Yeah. Can't just have yes people around us. No. And yeah, like some of the some of the research I looked at said that we have three types of friends. So we have our green friends who every like everything's easy. You never need to really think through like conversation just flows effortlessly. Then you have your yellow friends and you get on you get on okay but you do find yourself self editing quite a lot. Mm. Then you have your orange friends who are willing to challenge your point of view and they get you to test and um understand yourself better through like you're being challenged and then if you defend that point of view then you start to learn oh I really do think that or I feel strongly I didn't realize I felt that strongly about that but I do and it's the yellow friends that we need to be mindful of the ones that we are constantly self-editing for right because we're not able to be our most authentic self Yes. But we can't just have yes, yes, yes people around us because then we're not learning. Um, and that's it. Then you'll go into this potentially difficult conversation so charged with my point of view is the best because everyone agrees with me, which that's not probably the healthiest way to go in. So, you're, yeah, your approach definitely feels good. Like go in with curiosity and really look to learn their perspective and man I had so many of those learning opportunities at the eco village it was it was it was an, a phenomenal opportunity we were there for four months um so a phenomenal learning growth period in my life um but there was a lot of difficult conversations and a lot of tension I think when you're just living in such close proximity to 15 people and you're sharing meals with them 13 times a week (laughs) this is gonna come um um, amazing fascinating yeah yeah I've not done the communal living like that but but I am deeply intrigued because I I do think it would be a a spiritual up level in terms Mm. of (laughs) being in those conversations on a regular basis and then did you find that it got easier like in that journey or what what happened the other way (laughs) the other way (laughs) we did it we firstly had a six-week trial and we got to the end of that and I was like I'm not ready to leave like I was really in my honeymoon phase of it um so we we decided to stay longer but it was probably another month after that that I was like (sighs) they got in into winter because we started in the September so we actually had a couple of really beautiful months and then then when we went inside I think the dynamics changed and it was a bit heavier um and I've got two little children so the circle was like every Friday night and the weeks that I went to circle uh there was definitely a noticeable difference in your understanding of each other Mm. um and yeah like it was a big release but it would take up about two and a half hours if not a little bit more um and it was beautiful like because I got to learn about the ceremony of circle in a way that I hadn't done before um and one thing that really stuck with me is that you have a talking stick and if you don't have the talking stick, your job is to listen. And the idea is that you do not premeditate anything that you're going to say and really just take it in and just 
keep breathing until something comes that is alive for you. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And mm-hmm. I know for some of some of the podcasts um, that I've done, I don't think I mentioned it at the beginning of this one, but I've said before, like if I ask a question and nothing comes instantly, like let's just sit with it because like we can embrace the pause. We don't need to just talk for the sake of talking, hey? Mm. Mm, I love it. <laughs> it's so beautiful to be in the presence of someone else who's really experienced circle and the magic that can take place in that. And it's the only modality that I use in all of my work because it is so profound and it works for everybody. Like even if you're really, really talkative, I find those folks reflect back to me, oh, it was actually a relief not to feel this need to jump in and to coach and to fix and to give advice or whatever. And they got to be with their own thoughts. And then for the folks that struggle to find their voice or have space created for their voice, of course, for them, it was so healing and therapeutic to know that there would be an opportunity for them to share when that talking piece came to them and that no one would be interrupting them and jumping over them. And because that is so exhausting uh, for those bodies. So it really is a beautiful space for everybody to, um, yeah, deepen connection with one another and deepen their inner, their trust of their inner wisdom think is really important too. I've had people start in circle and they're like note taking and preparing the notes. And I let that happen because I want people are where they're at with their nervous systems and how they're, they're programmed to be in the world. And often those people are senior, senior leaders <clears throat> and often men who have been um, taught that they need to have the answer all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's a deconditioning them to come into this space and trust that they're going to have wisdom. They do have wisdom within them and it doesn't need to be an intellectual like thesis that they end up writing out and proving that their wisdom is enough. So it's, it's really beautiful to see all of those transformations. And you mentioned before about um, diversity and inclusion. Um, One of the things I'm really passionate about is employee resource groups in organizations. Um, And when when I was at my last organization, which is a big multinational in in Wales um, with offices across Europe, um, there wasn't a well-being initiative. They had a big charitable initiative. So employees would gather and kind of go off site to do charitable work for other people. But there was nothing really to nurture the employees from within. So I collaborated with a few colleagues and we pulled this well-being initiative together, which was phenomenal. We ended up rolling it out across Europe. But one of the things that struck me recently is that we were always looking to get, you know, 15 people signed up for this and like big numbers. But more recently, when I've been learning about the power of five, I'm thinking about if if we want to build a sense of belonging in the workplace, maybe we don't need to be looking at the big numbers. And maybe we need to start telling people that they are in their power to create an employee resource group of their own. If if they can, even if they were to get two people to attend every every week to something that they were passionate about other people 
and how that could really impact their experience of the workplace because they're getting to connect with colleagues that maybe are outside of their team on on something that is that is really personal personal to them i wonder if you've got any thoughts on on employee resource groups <laughs> oh i to be honest i don't know too too much about them uh, so i don't have a lot of experience uh, in those settings. And I like what you're saying about the smaller groups. So even if I have a group, maybe it's a whole organization of 50 people or 15 people, we are always sitting in small circles. So never do I, well, not never, but rarely are we sitting in one big circle. It's usually that that smaller work because yeah, there is something magical. And now that this has come up in three podcast episodes, I want to dive deeper and study it. I know your previous guests, they, they put more thought and methodology and um, background research into that, uh, which is, which is really cool to listen to. I didn't know that there was the five though. I didn't. Yeah. Anyways, that, that was, <laughs> I'm curious. So nurturing a sense of belonging We mentioned Zoom before. Have you toyed with any other platforms that have lent to to this any better when it comes to workplace or other groups outside of that in your um it's in your consultancy? Zoom has been the online tool and more and more I'm I'm just simply arriving in person and, mm. and more organizations are asking for that. Yes. Yeah. Good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't always have to be in person, but having that hybrid touch. So you have some in person and I've, I've really experienced that with friends as well, because I'm living away from my hometown. Um, it's been quite a long time now because we were in lockdown for 18 months before we came here two years ago. Um, so it's been a long time since I've had quality time with friends we have been back to the UK every summer but I started arranging digital catch-ups with them in the spring of 22 and that really helped us to reconnect in a way that we were sharing things that we would never share on social media and people don't really pick up the phone anymore so it was an invitation it was an invitation to share and and it did mean that when we then got together in person we didn't need to go that deep in a group but we were able to really kind of feel in presence with each other with that kind of deeper knowing of what each other had been going through yeah yeah beautiful i love that i once in my life, not so long ago, I decided that I really wanted regular phone conversations with friends <laughs> because I had been the type of friend that just kind of disappears for months and then checks in later. And I was really craving regular meetups. And so, yeah, again, during COVID, and it's interesting because these things sort of happened organically, not necessarily intentionally because we were in lockdown. And now coming out of it, I realized that I have a couple of friends that we talk every week, once mm. a week, and it's over the phone. And for me, I love that connection. It's nice to get off the Zoom. The video is nice every once in a while, but going for a walk, we'll often just go for a walk with each other on the phone. 
and have these conversations. And there's something really um, calming knowing that every week we're going to check in. And what I love is just watching the flow, the ebb and the flow and the hills and the valleys that we're all going through. And, and often we're at different places at different times, but that's comforting too, because it's a constant reminder that we'll, we'll always come back. If we're in a valley, there'll always be another hill. And if we're in a hill, it's nice to know too, that we're not going to have that always as well. We, we will dip down again. Um, and it's, and, and the continuity of it has been really cool as well, because then we, we were celebrating each other and our life journeys along the way. Yeah. It's been really special. And do you tend to schedule these calls or is it just when the moment takes you, you'll pick up and see if they're free for a walk and talk? Most, uh, the three that I'm thinking, well, it's, it's both, both, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have uh, two friends that were in each other's calendar every week. And then, um, another two friends that, yeah, it's more random when, yeah yeah nice yeah and that's it the spontaneity seems to have been lost mm. um in you know we're always scheduling for work and sometimes I don't want to have to schedule for friends yes. and it's like we're not work colleagues like let's just pick up the phone and you know if 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 they're not available they won't answer and the same goes on my side so yeah, yeah. I would encourage anyone out there like if the calling takes you and and kind of this is going into a little bit of the work that I do which is um which is just a reality check on our personal connections and Today, normally, I think if people feel the urge for connection, they will naturally go to social media and then they'll spend half an hour looking at different social media and then they'll come off. They forgot why they went on. They forgot that they had that need for connection. It isn't necessarily fulfilled, but they don't do anything else. Mm -hmm. So my work is really to help people to figure out who the 12 to 15 people are that they really want as a active part of their life, whether that's in person or online, and then really nurture these connections. And just even just having a visual of who these people are can just really subtly unconsciously help you to make more effort. So when that kind of niggle of loneliness or the need for connection does envelop you which I, I think it does for most of us at different times rather than social media being the default actually yeah. thinking who would really appreciate hearing from me right now oh a hundred percent I love that <clears throat> I love your research I want to know more and um so five coming up on five years ago I had a cancer journey and it was one month into starting this business that I currently run. Um, and it was one of those moments of, yeah, deep pause, obviously, and reflection. And for me, it was a moment of deeper healing. So that's when I really got to look at the childhood and the life really through that lens of trauma. And that really shaped the work that I do today in the world, because I emerged from that saying, oh, well, we all have unhealed trauma and that's really the root of the division that is happening everywhere. So 
how do we create spaces for that to emerge and transmute? But that's a side story. What I want to speak of is in the middle of the cancer journey, I live by myself. My family's all out East and I have a beautiful network of friends here, which I learned to rely on. It was very hard for me in the beginning. I actually cried. I had to go to a neighbor's house <laughs> to call the oncology nurse after my first chemotherapy appointment, because I was terrified to ask for a change in my anti-nausea medication because it wasn't working. And it was so hard for me to ask <clears throat> for support. As I went through that journey, that got easier, but there became a moment where it was very, really vulnerable for me to be here alone at night because mm -hmm. I wasn't well and I was getting weaker. And I had a friend recommend to me that I make a list of the two or three people that I could call in the middle of the night. And I think for me, that was so uh, transformative in terms of being able to feel calm and relaxed and loved and supported. And I had those conversations with, with people that I thought would be okay with that. And they were like, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but just to know, and then the visual as well, to write, the, write it out, because sometimes, especially when we're in those low, dark moments, it's easy to forget that we have all these beautiful people around us that just want to help, you know, and that may, that might, might not even be in their intention. But when you ask somebody for help, you're giving them such a gift to say, yes, I've been <laughs> seeking a way, like, especially in cancer, people were like, I don't know how to help you. <clears throat> and so for me to reach out intentionally, it was a true gift for them to be able to say, yes, I can give that to you. So I just want to drop that into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And it's dropping in there um, some research by Arthur Aaron. Um, is it Arthur Aaron? Or maybe it was the longitudinal study from, from the States that had looked at, they'd looked at a huge group of boys um, back in the 1940s and the 1950s. Initially, they looked at half the group went to a public school, half the group went to a private school, and they just looked looked at their lives. And then they looked at the lives of their children. And now it's the grandchildren to really see. And their, find, their main finding was that you can almost determine the health of someone at 80 based on their social relationships in their 50s. Mm, yeah this is so important and just having you know just having those two people that you know you can call in the middle of the night that is what the people that didn't have the health in their 80s that's what they didn't have mm, yes yeah it's important work it's literally for our health and well-being <laughs> and our you know going into the future just doing a bit of this work and like Robin Dunbar says so long as you've got five of you and you do he he says that they do the five does need to be in close proximity but you are one of those five mm -hmm. um and then the others i'm kind of, kind of working that they can be they'll be the friends that you're calling or they'll be in other places or parents or siblings wherever they are yeah. um this has been amazing <laughs> i've so enjoyed this conversation with you I wonder if there's a, a little unexplored area that we just don't want to leave without 
delving into. I guess what's coming up for me is is loneliness and um, just the feeling. So loneliness, I've recently found a few definitions for this and it's a feeling that people are beyond our reach. Hmm. So it is almost a mindset thing. Cause like you said, if you're in a particular dark period that in reality, the people are there and they're willing to be there for you. But that mental state that you're in makes you feel like they're out of reach. So you're feeling lonely. So some of the work is really helping that mindset shift to a power of invitation Mm. and feeling worthy that people will want to hear from you. Mm. So we stop this kind of insular behavior or hiding behind social media when, when there's people that would really appreciate the live interaction with, with you. Mm. Yeah. Great topic uh, to close on, I think, because um, we have an epidemic of loneliness in our world right now. And I think what makes that particularly challenging and threatening and um, hopeless for a lot of folks is, again, when you think loneliness, that's dependent on other people. Well, other people need to be present for me not to be lonely. And the minute we do that, the minute we, um, you know, need society to change and we, we need like the leaders to change because that, that will, that will be the solution or we, to resolve our loneliness, we need more people in our life. It puts the power out there. And so I like what you're saying in terms of mindset, because it lands the power right back in your own body. And that's not to say we don't need people in our life, but fundamentally we need to be okay with ourselves. And there's, I think, two beautiful ways to do that. And one is bringing your attention into your body and just asking in that moment, like fundamentally, am I okay right now? Fundamentally, am I whole and complete in this moment, regardless of how terrible things might seem or how lonely or depressed I am? And the answer is generally, yes, I am. I'm in this moment. If I can just put myself here in the present, I'm okay. And then secondly, I think what is happening in our, what has been happening in our world is more of a spiritual crisis in that through colonization and various other big societal impacts, we've disconnected from the spiritual realm and the understanding that we are, we cannot be alone because we are inherently connected to everybody and everything. And that's being able to see ourselves as energetic bodies, which we are. And so when you look at the world and life through that, you are never ever alone because (laughs) it's literally impossible. And so I think that for me is, is a call for people to really explore the spiritual part of their lives and their, their ways of being. I did this workshop the other day with all post-secondary, it was like all post-secondary institutions on the West coast. And I take them through this exercise where they get to check in with their physical body, their mental body, emotional, and then spiritual. 
and these folks shared <laughs> afterwards, I was like, well, what was that like? And uh, they got to reflect back to each other, like just hold the space for each person to share how they were doing, which ended up being quite emotional because, you know, we don't create those spaces just to hear, oh, how am I doing in this moment? But these two people, they ended up, they, they said, well, what was interesting is when we had our two minutes to share, both of us ran out of time to share how our spiritual bodies were doing. And that mirrored our lives that we're always like, oh yeah, I want to do that. And it falls off the plate. And what I'm saying and what I think is so important right now that people hear is that needs to become a priority of really deepening that relationship because then that okayness is there. It's inherent. And I love this about this island in particular. Mm. It feels like it is a very present part of people's knowing here. Um, I don't know if this is a global kind of conscious awakening or if this is really kind of a leader in in spiritual conversations. But yeah, it's been a very welcome surprise when I landed here that this was the way this island was um, a real blessing. Um, one other thing I'd just love to delve into with you is, is on communities and uh, perhaps um, mentioning one or two communities who have been really pivotal in your personal growth and kind of really learning your, learning to lean into your passion for your work. Mm. And then maybe if there's one or two communities that are, that are alive in your life right now that you would love to give um, a mention to. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, my journey of deepening my awareness within began with Gary Zukav and uh, his late partner, Linda Francis. And Gary Zukav wrote Seed of the Soul, and it's just a phenomenal human. And it was really through divine intervention that I landed at one of his five-day workshops and retreats. And then I ended up spending two years with him and Linda and they transformed um, how I saw the world. For them, everything was you're either coming and projecting out love into the world or you're projecting out fear into the world. And it was really bringing awareness back into your body to be able to sense, oh, like, what what is this body feeling right now when I'm about to step into this difficult conversation? Am I like locked up in fear-based energy and need to be right or need this person to change? Or am I coming from that loving presence mm. of patience and curiosity and whatnot? That work was profound uh, in terms of shifting how I be in the world. Um, and it had a mix of in-person meetups, but then a lot of online regular uh, conversations, which I think is important. Uh, I am working with this woman, Rachel Jane Groover, and she's a phenomenal person based out of Denver, Colorado. And uh, her and her husband, Dada, started the Awakened School. And for them, again, it's about they're supporting change makers in the world to make their biggest impact, but they're doing it through a very energetic, it's energetic meets business uh, combo. Uh, and I'm learning so much from her about presence in every moment and really feeling um, filled up in that mm -hmm. way and how important that is. So that's another community that I would recommend. And then my others are really masterminds that have come out of other programs, uh, working with other teachers and just like that group finds each other and 
um, meeting regularly, they're the folks that really lift me up, that keep me going, that remind me that when I'm wanting to throw it all out the door, <laughs> that, uh, what I'm doing is important and that also it's okay to take breaks every once in a while. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. intriguing because um, the coach and the coaching program that I've been part of for mm -hmm. Um, the last 10 months is based out of Denver, Colorado. Oh, there is some interesting stuff going on in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's all designed for soulful entrepreneurs to just help you to get that passion project into something that's actually a viable offering. So it's mm. been a been a real gift and uh yeah she's constantly just hiking or skiing depending on the season it looks like a pretty phenomenal place to be <laughs> that's awesome i i would actually I, one other came to mind i'd be remiss if i didn't mention it it's a female wave of change canada which i just became a co-chair of i've been oh. with the board for a year and again, it's bringing in change makers from around the country. It's not a like a typical networking uh, businessy group. It's people that want to be in conversations about how do I make the biggest impact in the world and how do I bring in the feminine principles, the feminine energy uh, into that space because there is a calling, right, to balance out these energies that exist. So that's another group we meet monthly. It's just amazing speakers and lots of great things going on there cool. i'm gonna check that one out yeah very cool and yeah as part of royal rose university like their whole slogan is on like change change making and the teaching there has just been like profound mm -hmm. really next level leading edge thinking and um, what i love about it as well most of the professors all the professors that i've come across there are still practicing as well they they're still very much their feet in they're still working with people so everything's so current yeah yeah brilliant i have i've i've attended one course at royal roads but absolutely love that uh, institution that community yeah it's great amy leah it's been a pleasure to have you here today um i hope our paths will cross in Victoria. Um, thank you for all of your gifts, all of your sharings. Um, and until we meet again. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you too for this space that you've created. It's beautiful and uh, keep going. You're doing such amazing work in the world. 